good morning comrades and maybe the guests from the musical motif that is introducing our latest podcast that we are going to be focusing on religion today particularly having a look at this uh, hateful relationship between that of the communist regime and that of the church because there is this element here of juxtaposition that you know the church is this deity of course and how the czar was seen to be God's representative on earth and was almost in terms of canonized back in those days as particularly that he had this mystical connection with God. With the communists and we've seen this before in terms of uh, Lenin's constant update wanting to find out uh, how many priests have been arrested and also in terms of being executed uh, too as well but also particularly under that branch of education that the whole religious doctrine is something that is being ripped out of schools and children are being encouraged that more for to be embracing that of the atheist way. So the Russian Revolution that had started in February, the Tsar had already abdicated and the provisional bourgeois government had begun to establish itself. But there was the occupation of the government building in Petrograd on the 25th of October 1917 by Red Guards of the Bolsheviks that marks the beginning of the communist era proper. And it was from this state that this experimental, wholly unprecedented in world history began the systematic state-sponsored attempt to eliminate religion. Lenin, uh, Lenin is said to have said, no, militant atheism is not merely incidental or marginal to communist policy. It's not a side effect, but it is a central pivot. Particularly, Lenin compares religion to that of a, a renal disease, something like an STI that has to be outrooted. And I think that is something that's quite graphic and gives us a really interesting, a valuable insight to Lenin's psychosis and also his, his rationale too as well. And particularly having a look at how the pillars of religion are going to be dismantled. Now, particularly we know from studying the start of our Russian history period unit that, you know, the Russian Orthodox Church had its role to play in the pillars of autocracy and upholding that of autocratic rule. Within the just weeks of the October Revolution, the People's Commissariat for Enlightenment was established to remove all references to religion from the church curriculum. In the years that followed, churches and monasteries were destroyed or turned onto public toilets. Their land and property was appropriated. Thousands of bishops, monks and clergy were systematically murdered by the security services. Specialist propaganda units were formed like the League of Godless. Christian intellectuals were rounded up and also sent to camps. The Soviets had originally believed that when the church had been deprived of its power, religion would quickly wither away. When this did not happen, they redoubled their efforts. In Stalin's purges of 36 and 37, tens of thousands of clergy were rounded up and shot. Under Khrushchev, Stalin's um, heir after his death, it became illegal to teach religion to your own children. From 1917 into that of the period of the 1980s, the more religion persisted, the more the Soviets would seek new and innovative ways to eradicate it. Today, the Russian Orthodox Church are packed. Once the grip of oppression had been released, the faithful returned to their church in their millions. The Soviet experiment manifested failed, and particularly we're going to have a look at the collaboration between that of the NKVD and that of the communist government. 
In a recent exhibition that took place in London, there is a striking poster from 1975 that shows a cheeky-looking cosmonaut working, walking around in space and declaring there is no God. Below him on Earth, a church is falling over. This is from the period of so-called scientific atheism. There is not an overabundance of resources that describe Soviet religious policy. Several archival readers and documentaries and documents histories exist which provide law and raw legislation concerning religion and there is a sacred corpus of scholarly work on the Soviet religious policy that is spread across the Soviet Union's existence and beyond. Each succeeding building upon a foundation already that has been created on an article before. The sources all tend to recite the same repetitive idea that Soviet religious policy was focused on the eradication of religion. While it is true that official Soviet ideology demanded the eradication of religion before the establishment of communism would take effect, it does not mean that Soviet religious policy was entirely orientated towards this end. Particularly what we're going to have a look today is a closer examination of sources and points of view that prove that Soviet religious history could be viewed also in a different light. Its subject is important because the re-evaluation of Soviet religious policy casts doubts on the state ideological faithfulness to lend socialism toward that of religion. Soviet religious scholarship can be summed up in two main arguments. Firstly, that the Soviet government created legislation specifically to oppress religious organisations, which improved over time to combat the church's responses. And secondly, the Soviets did not strictly adhere to its legislation and often acted in opposition to the statutes dictated by that the control of religion in the Soviet Union. The defining force behind historical development has not been to diversify the argument that was originally produced in the 1930s, but to support it. Some of the earlier scholarly works of Soviet religious policy include historians obviously influenced by agendas, such as James A. Clarely's 1931 monograph War on God and Religion in Russia, funded by the Catholic True Society of Ireland, and Sergei Bilov's 1942 monograph The Chichen Church and the Soviet State, a Christian's perspective on religious policy. Other historians answered the call to explain religion's treatment in the Soviet Union in search of the greater understanding, but still with obvious bias. As Paul Anderson's 1944 People, Church and State Modern Russia shows, Anderson explains how Marx's thought tied into Soviet religious policy, but also admits his admiration for the struggle given by the Russian Orthodox Church to retain its legitimacy since he has worshipped with them. Their scholarship functioned in terms of biases to scope after World War II. John Shilton's 1953 The Russian Church and the Soviet State, Walter Kolderog's 1961 Religion in the Soviet Union, and Robert Conquest's 1968 Religion in the USSR all vary tremendously in the level of biasness and areas of focus within religious policy. All three are written from the viewpoint that the Russian Orthodox Church as literature before them had been. The receptive naturally betrays that of the Church's largest religion in the Soviet Union as a victim to the harsh religious persecution of the state. The term in the 1960s began producing revisionist historians. These historians contested the orthodox oriented status quo interpretations offered by historians by for them. Picks in the 1980s explained religious policy from the state's view as well, but as 1988 drew closer and closer, many historians chose to write comparative and comprehensive histories of the millennium of Christianity in Russia or explain the shifts in religious policy as millennium celebrations approached. Len was influenced by Marx's view on religion but took it a step further by severely criticising the idea of religion. Marx overly quoted statement that religion is the opium 
the opinion of the masses, does not mean that he believes it does. When put into context, it is apparent that Marx pitied those who desperately clung to religion. So particularly in terms of saying about how it is an opium, something that has been overly quoted, saying that religion is the sigh of the oppressed creatures, the heart of the heartless world, the spirit of the soulless stagnation, is the opium of the people. You can see how Lenin has been able to read and to digest that and sees it as a source of conflict. But at the same time as well, he is taking it a step further. As Robert Conquest explains, we can summarise this inhumane or this humane and sensitive passage by saying that in Marx's view, those deprived of real satisfaction in the real world compensate themselves by inventing or accepting comforting fantasies. Len did not like this interpretation for he saw the tremendous influence religion held over the people as a potential danger if it mobilised believers against the coming communist age in its own defence. He misinterpreted Marx's view on religion and created a view that became increasingly antagonistic towards religion. All modern religions and churches, all religious organisations, Marxism always regards an organ of bourgeois reaction, serving to defend exploitation and to stupefy that of the classes. That was quoted by Lenin himself. By relating his personal view to religion to Marxism, Lenin had laid the foundations for the state ideology that claimed to be Marxist, but enforced his views. The relationship between the Russian Orthodox Church and the state throughout history seems to justify Lenin's hostility. The Russian Tsars had traditionally supported the Orthodox Church because of the Orthodox Church and state's belief in the Third Rome theory. This theory, which developed in Russia after the fall of Emperor Constantine in 19, or sorry, 1453, claimed that Russia had replaced the Byzantine Empire as a bastion for that of Christianity. Christendom had survived as long as the Russian Orthodox Church survived, making it Russian Tsar's responsibility to support and protect the Church. Since the Tsar was believed to have derived his powers from God, the Third Rome theory indicated that he would lose his authority if the Russian Orthodox Church was overthrown, just as had history had done beforehand in 1453. The government accordingly manifested its support by providing state aid for religious endeavours, enforcing the commands of the Orthodox clergy and fighting Russian Orthodox Church enemies. The Tsar guaranteed protection allowed for the Orthodox Church to profiliate even outside Russia and enabled the clergy to boldly say and act as they willed. Lenin saw the poverty of the Russian peasantry in relation to the wealth of the church, the measured abuses of the church and the corruption of the clergy. He also witnessed the insufficiency and seemingly willful ignorance of Tsar Nicholas II displayed towards the people's problems, which further exemplified the negative influence that the Russian Orthodox Church extended on the Russian government and that of the people. The Russian Orthodox Church, which symbolised all organisation religion to the government as the most popular religion in Russia, needed to be liquidated so the welfare of the people could, could then prosper in Russia under a socialist democratic state. In his 1905 essay called Socialism and Religion, Lenin emphasised the need to separate the state from the interests and influence of religion, going as far to claim that religion would simply just leave the state alone. He goes on to say that the state must not concern itself with religion, religious societies that may not be connected with the state power. Everyone should be absolutely free to profess whatever religion he prefers to recognise no religion. There must be no discrimination whatsoever in the rights of the citizens on religious grounds. No state grants must be made to illicit and religious societies, which become absolutely dependent, voluntary associations with like-minded citizens. Lenin's personal opposition towards religion is notably absent in this excerpt, wherein his belief that religion was the opium of the masses, a tool whose function was to placate the people into accepting their abysmal circumstances. 
At this early stage, Lena was already fostering a double standard that called for public acceptance of and hidden resistance towards religion. In his essay, Lenin also made a clear distinction between the views of Communist Party and the official ideology of the state. Instead of conforming to the standard of Western Marxist stance on which religion was to be a private affair of each citizen, the Communist Party under Lenin would actively participate in systematic anti-religious propaganda to eliminate religious inclinations of the Russian citizenry. The state would not undertake these actions directly, but would instead ensure that certain core beliefs were carried out. Among these beliefs were the constitution freedom of conscience, the separation of church and state, the secularisation of education and the nationalisation of all religious landholdings. Through enforcing the tenets of the state would claim the communist government, even though the party members who ran it would, would later act in accordance with Lenin's Marxists instead of pure communism, little did Lenin know that this double standard of advocating tolerant legislation and enforcing contradictory action would become the trademark of the government that would develop a few years later. The spontaneous February Revolution in 1917 resulted in the abdication of Tsar Nicholas II and the formation of the Provisional Government under Alexander Kerensky. The beginnings of what would become as Soviet religious policies occurred during Kerensky's brief tenure from February to October 1917. He entered the official status of the Russian Orthodox Church specifically and placed light restrictions on religious organisations. Firstly, the government created a law in July 1917 that guaranteed the freedom of religious profession, freedom to change religion and the freedom to profess no religion whatsoever. During this interim period of the law, it was proclaimed that the Russian Orthodox Church would no longer be considered in such a favourable light, though it was a statement that impacted on all religions. Secondly, all parochial schools were placed under the jurisdiction of the Minister of Education and compulsory religious education was made optional. While these changes limit the role and power of religion, they were in line with the spirit of the July law. Lenin recognised and realised that if he was to lead the Bolsheviks in overthrowing the provisional government to establish a communist government, he would help to be able to lead it and therefore enforce his conceptions of the struggle against religion. He saw an opportunity to eradicate religion once and for all through political force, an opportunity that he would seize. Upon overthrowing Kerensky's government and causing the government power to reside in the workers' Soviets or councils, the new communist government with Lenin as its informal leader immediately began attacking religion. Landed estates, including monasteries and church lands, were nationalised and placed under state control. State subsidies for churches, clergy and religious ceremonies ceased and the state control over education expanded into include cemeteries. In the public sphere, divorce laws were relaxed, civil marriage took precedence over religious weddings and the registration of births and deaths were given to the civil authorities to handle. These changes were not yet law but were informal actions taken against religion. The communists encountered opposition from all sides, but religious groups reacted strongly against them in particular. Religious believers' outrage further fueled the communist hatred of religion, for they believed that religion was, as it was viewed, a reactionary and unscientific ideology born out of a man's fear and ignorance and exploited by a dominant classes with the help of the clergy in order to dupe the totally masses and thus thwart their revolutionary impulses. It's perhaps easy for us to understand the communist logic. These initial, initial reactions merely took Lenin's belief of the separation of the church and state and advanced it a step further by preventing the Russian Orthodox Church from having financial strength. These were not attacks on individual believers. They were attacks on political power and the strength of the church. According to the communists, religious believers attacked their measures because of the manipulative influence of the church. 
So it's almost in terms of like our own reformation that has taken place in which religious idolatries, corruption in the church and how Martin Luther is talking about corruption from that of Rome and how it comes to be separated. So we can see here how Lenin is attacking the churches for being rich, being power hungry and just simply having too much control. The Council of People's Commissaires issued a decree on the separation of the church from the state and school from the church. This decree made into law the previous actions taken against religion organisations, including the separating the church and state, outlawing public religious instruction and nationalising all religious landholdings, and had several new demands that further restricted religious organisations, including the conditions that religious rights could not only disturb public order, but interfere with the rights of citizens, that religious societies could only perform religious rights as opposed to undertaking the charitable activities and fundraisers, that they were not allowed to impose compulsory frees or contributions, and that they could not punish their members in any way. Three of these restrictions stand out from the rest of it. Article 12 states that no church or religious associations have the right to own property. Article 13 extends the form of restriction stating that the property of all church and religious associations exist in Russia is pronounced the property of the people. The January 23rd decree also ensured that in Article 3, all restriction of rights involved by professing one another's belief or by professing no belief of law are cancelled and void, which is even more hypocritical than the other items that have been listed. These constraints reveal the same double standard approach to religion policy that Lenin had established early on. If religious organisations were rent the tools necessary for the performance of its services, that the organisation is dependent on the state, which makes it a mockery of the idea that church is separate from the state in any way. These legal restrictions would allow the government to manipulate religious sects and apply pressure until the final fatal blow liquidating religion was dealt. The Russian Soviet Federated Socialist Republic is an example of how the communists pursued the first two goals and shows how the latter two goals were not yet achievable. The constitution passed on the 10th of July 1918 included several articles concerning religion. Article 65 took away the suffrage right of priests and legality of being a priest as a profession, disenfranchising Disenfranchised people were not allowed to receive ration cards, could not belong to trade unions, which automatically disqualified them from any state jobs, could not send their children to schools and above the elementary level, and were forced to pay higher rents for their dwellings and were subjected to higher tax. Religious education was prohibited by the Freedom of Conscience Law of January 23, 1918, in state and public schools and allowed in private schools, but that was abolished with the introduction in June 13, 1921 decree. The Family Code of October 22 took away the legal recognition of church marriages and divorces that occurred after the date of the decree, leaving priests not much they could do in terms of employment. By attacking the priests who were necessary for the performance of the rituals of many religions, the state hoped to stop religion altogether. The state hoped to force religion to die on its own through making religion irrelevant and ineffective while the party would perform powerful anti-religious propaganda and assist the state. The secret department SD of the Cheka, a state security agency created by Lenin before the revolution, had began persecuting priests specifically since the revolution using the tactic of propaganda. A decree entitled On Religion that was put before Congress on March the 18th to the 23rd, 1929, shows Lenin's personal belief that offending religious convictions, believers only strengthened their resolve to practice it. He is noted as he said, it is, however, necessary carefully to avoid offending the religious superficialities of believers, which only leads to the case of strengthening of religious fantasism. As historian Francis House remarks, Lenin himself acknowledged the truth that observations that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, and he vainly warned his followers against creating martyrs by open persecution.
He vainly warned them because he knew the communists were harsh on their treatment of believers. When it comes to Stalin, there's something that's quite unique about him if you have to remember his background. He's unique amongst world communist leaders in the sense of one respect that he studied theology for five years at the Tate Spiritual Cemetery and the training college for priests in the Russian Orthodox Church. He did so during a deeply formative time in his life from the age of 15 to the verge of his 20th birthday. One of the best students, he was known for his intellect and phenomenal memory. He was also notably devout, attending all worship services and even leading the choir. Yet despite the importance of this theological study informing Stalin's mind and life, few, if any, take the time to analyse what Stalin studied and how he did so. His training was thorough. In the early years, he studied both secular and theological studies, such as Russian literature, secular history, mathematics, church singing and Bible studies. By the later years, the focus was more intensely theological, with esochastical history, lutherology, dogma, comparative theory, moral theory, practical pastor work and two staples, church singing and Bible studies. Years later, Stalin annotated the religious works in his library and memorised long passages from the Bible. He also refused to include anti-religious work, calling them irreligious waste paper, but it's particularly interesting in terms of seeing the relationship between that of Stalin and the state. Stalin left the college just before the final examination in 1899 of his own will, but the experience had formed him deeply. In revolutionary circles, he was for many years known as the priest. And it's something that we'll see when it comes to Russia during the Second World War in the early years of World War II that Stan actually made a historic compact with that of the Russian Orthodox Church in return for support for the war effort that eventually defeated Hitler. Stalin allowed the reopening of tens of thousands of churches and re-establishment of the church's leadership hierarchy. These developments are far more complex than the common argument about a morally bankrupt government sought to harness the church's influence to counter that of the Nazis. However, one condition applied. The church was to respect the affirmative action that was only applied to ethnic minorities. Stalin was the architect of policy of fostering the languages, culture, education and self-government of many nations of ethnic groups in the USSR. So Lenin's successor, Joseph Stalin, emphasised a mixture of fundamentalist and progressive approaches to religious policy and advocated for intense atheist propaganda. Stalin had been appointed General Secretary of the Communist Party, which did not have a significant responsibilities in 1922. In the two years before Lenin's death, he worked at giving his office increased responsibility and power so that when Lenin died on January the 21st, 1924, Stalin became the next leader of the Soviet Union. Amongst his first acts in office was to compile a list establishing of who was against the state. The task was given to the Joint State Political Directorate. In February of the 24th, it reported its findings classifying them to three main characters. Political parties, organisations and associations, collaborators and officials in the active service of Tsarism and hidden enemies of Soviet power. Number three under the category of hidden enemies of Soviet power was all servants of religious cults, hierarchicals, orthodox priests, Catholic priests, rabbis, deacons, church elders, monks, etc., showing the state's continued mistrust of the clergy, while number nine in the same category listed all belonging to a religious sect and communities. Baptists, Baptists were especially in mind. Stalin called for the creation of a committee to establish separation of church and state in 1922. Until its abolishment in 1929, the commission was a secretive in nature and highly regarded, as its membership showed. 
The chairman was Yemen Yaravensky, who in 1925 became the chairman of the League of the Militant Godless and was secretary to that of Chuskov, the head of the sixth section of the secret department of the GPU. Other important members included that of Peter Karaskov, head of the eighth department of the People's Cults in the People's Commissariat of Justice, and T. Samarov, who was the head of the SD of the Cheka. Meetings were held every two weeks to apply state religious policies to a variety of practical problems facing the government, including about what to do. The commission, the commission sorry, had a lot of power. In fact, much of the Soviet state of religious policy was determined by the commission in the early stages of Stalin's rise to power. Its actions clearly highlight the changes to Lenin's policy views that Stalin decreed after his death. Firstly, the Commission decided final actions undertaken in the name of the state concerning that of religious policy. The Commission differed from Lenin's preferred method of personally approving and changing religious policy decisions, for his religious policy views differed from Stalin's vision. Secondly, the Commission, whose name is ironically states its dedication to the separation of the church and state, chose to interfere directly with the church despite the laws condemning such actions. Its success in containing policy shows that Stalin agreed with direct violations of the law carried out by the Commission. An example of the Commission's interference is recorded in the meetings of July 17, 1923. The Commission's interference differed from Lenin's approach to church and state relations, in that Lenin would never resolve to undertake actions against the church that hurt its foreign relations, instead of directly forcing the church to say and do what he demanded. An example of Lenin's approach is directive do not personally touch those when a 1922 collection of valuable scandal occurred. Thirdly, the Commission chose to directly intervene in the running of the church, another action against the law. The first to do was a newspaper called The Godless, which had been established in December 1922. This newspaper originally began publication in Moscow, but spread outwards across the whole Union. In August 1924, a society called the Society of Friends of the Paper Godless, whose goal was to disseminate atheist propaganda. This society was mainly composed of party propagandists and agitators, formed a congress the following year and decided to form a League of the Godless. This league would recognise atheists and voluntary dispute atheist pamphlets and anti-religious propaganda to open in acknowledging that its volunteers were organised under the direction of the Communist Party. Since the League emphasised all atheist propaganda would correlate to the interests of class struggle and supports the state's political and economic policies, its ideology quickly became, as historians have noted, a petty economic materialism devoid of any larger ideological concept and that of vision. The majority of communists did not especially like the League, considering it had an eccentric branch of the party. So those who sought membership in the League tend to possess a vested interest in the spread of atheism. The state officially wanted nothing to do with it because of its misguided seal. Yet religion had become such a problem with the party's own ranks of the 16-party Congress advised local officials to expel all members who were still practicing religion within the local administration in 1929, leading to a purge throughout the second half of 1929 and into the first half of the 1930. The purge coincided with the beginning of the first five-year plan in which Stalin hoped to conceive considerable progress towards global socialism. After the purge, the League became more prominent. It began publishing several anti-religious journals and magazines, which included Militant Atheism and The Village Godless. The League would eventually be dismantled sometime after the Nazis invaded the Soviet Union during World War II, but until it was served as an example of Stalin's religious policy. Stalin did not particularly like the League, even though it was successful in mobilising support for atheist propaganda and faithfully served other functions that will be discussed shortly. 
Stalin allowed its continuation for two main reasons. Firstly, the League disseminated atheist propaganda and which aligned with fundamentalist interpretation of religious policy that Stalin supported. And secondly, the League worked in acquiring voluntary aid in distributing atheist propaganda and in causing Soviet citizens to look to the state for that of guidance. Unfortunately for believers, Stalin more than Lenin vehemently opposed religion in any form. He sought to actively crush religion through the imposition of impossible regulations like that of the Criminal Code Codex. On January 1st, 1927, the Criminal Codex became legally binding. In its fourth chapter, one year's corrective labour would be imposed on those who taught religious subjects to students under 18 in state or private educational institutions or schools. Six months would be given for religious organisations acting as though they had judicial rights, and three months would be given for the performance of religious rites in state or social establishments and for placing these structures of religious images or so ever. Keep in mind that all church buildings were registered and owned by the state at the time, and religious organisations were legally not permitted to own property of any kind. Religious organisations got legal issues by meeting in each other's homes, but later amendment on religious associations would restrict even that making use of more than one private dwelling as a private house, prayer house, that of being illegal. This 1929 amendment forced believers to pray and conduct services in one location so they could easily be monitored by that of the state. On April the 8th, 1929, a decree was made it remarkably hard to form a religious group or to practice beliefs in any way, and even if these groups followed the law completely, they were setting themselves off to be monitored constantly. Particularly in Article 10, Section 3 forced believers to use one private premise as a prayer house, while Article 36 granted the state the power to take away religious buildings at any time for any reason, and if such a building is indispensable for the state or social needs. Article 17 took away humanitarian abilities for religious groups, prevented children, adolescents and women from being taught religion and discontinued all religious literature that was essential for conducting services. Stalin had already been manipulated the religious policies of Lenin so that they were more forceful in condemning religious believers and orientated towards manipulation of the boundaries of the separation of church and state. Now he was confident of his own power situation with the government, Stan had created legal backing for his interference. In 1930, however, he backed off from strictly enforcing religious policy and made minor concessions towards religion, continuing to do so until 1937. His backward steps in his religious policy were due to two main problems. Firstly, religious believers had not been backed down to increase persecution and instead became more confirmed that their own faith was correct. Non-believers also complained some in the party about how violent some of Stalin's anti-religious measures had been, which only added to the opposition. And secondly, Stalin's agricultural collectivization attempts had begun to fail. Stalin did not want believers to be confirmed in their faiths, for he wanted to destroy faith altogether. Lenin's predictions that active persecution would backfire in the party had been accurate. While the complaints of religious believers concerning atheism would not cause Stalin to change his campaign, believer opposition combined with general disapproval of his collective agricultural system would. On March 2, 1930, Stalin wrote in a private article entitled Dizzy with Success that he denounced the excesses of collectivization. Two weeks later, the Central Committee adopted on the struggle against distortions of the party line in that of the Cold Soul movement, and the Central Committee denounced the local administration officials who had distorted the party's anti-religious fever by taking officials' actions too far. The major differences in policy between Lenin and Stalin are proof that the influences dominated the formation and enforcement of religious policy. Though both leaders claimed to follow communist line of religion, they each adhered to differing tactics. Lenin sought to make religion ineffective through replacing ideology with communism and taking out the clergy who manipulated the people. Stalin wanted to suffocate religious groups, both clergy and laymen alike, until religion died by his hand. 
The leader's personal views on religion created these differing stances. Lenin did not want to upset the sensibilities of believers while Stalin did not care. Lenin wanted the truth of communism to replace the lies of religion while Stalin wanted to scare or overwhelm people into being communists. Both operated under completely different political situations, which impacted how they had treated religion. Lenin dealt with counter-revolutionaries and anti-communist descendants, in which he had much against religion outside the limiting of its capabilities. Stalin gathered power under himself as being able to focus on destroying religion. Lenin did not want to oppress believers beyond disrepair, while he was still advancing the state's policy of neutralising religion. Stalin oppressed believers, he wanted to cover it up, but his image remained the same. These circumstances impacted the personal goals of each leader which governed the actions of the state over the ideology of the government. Lenin and Stalin both handled situations outside the law, an official state stands on religion to protect their power and or their image. Lenin forced the church to be dependent on the state through the renting of equipment and premises necessary to perform its services, which went directly against the law concerning the separation of church and state, as well as the law of the government non-interference in religious affairs. His legislation declared the freedom of religion, yet also attacked priests for the fact that they were priests. When the Soviet Union was in danger due to famine, Lenin operated outside the law and allowed the church to raise money for the famine relief, even though it was not allowed to raise money outside or what it needed to perform services. He openly did this to save face internationally. Stalin functioned outside the law more than he did Lenin, even using government committees to break the law specifically. As the situation between the committee to establish the separation of church and state and the patriarch, this government committee completely disregarded the law to the image of the government remain unassailable outside the countryside. Stan also made concessions to the church and other religious organisations when popular beginning was against him, explicitly choosing to ignore the law to gain popularity with the people. He created legislation that was right hindered to the freedom of worship when he outlawed the use of religious items into state-owned buildings, knowing that all buildings were owned by the state. Also not allowing organisations to meet in more than one location, did not allow churches to have adequate space for all its believers, hindering their ability to worship. A United States religious policy did not exist, for the only ideological factor that united Lenin and Stalin's policies was that of the struggling against religion. Two separate policies were at work and war shook the world for the second time. Policies that used law but did not follow it unless it had the useful of the state's goals. So what we have learnt is that the Bolsheviks were aggressively atheist. They saw religion as a sign of backwardness. Lenin declared the party's aim was to destroy the ties between the exploiting classes and the organisation of religious propaganda and replace it with scientific education. Lenin forecasted that electricity will take the place of God. Let the peasant pay, pray to electricity. He is going to feed the power of the central authorities more than that of heaven. This attitude brought the Bolsheviks into direct conflict with the Orthodox Church, which was central to the lives of millions of peasants and an integral part of the village community. So we're saying that in January 1918 that we have the decree of separation of church and state, which declared that the church could not own property, church buildings had to be rented, and religious instruction in schools was outlawed. Priests and clerics were declared servants of the bourgeois. This meant they were not allowed to vote and could not receive ration cards or got the lowest category. Patriarch Titan the head of the Orthodox Church denounced the Bolsheviks and called for the faithful to resist them by possible spiritual means. The battle was on for the people's soul. The Bolshevik mounted an enormous propaganda onslaught. In 1921, we've got the Union of the Militant Godless was established, which branches across the country. It had events such as debates to prove that God did not exist. It had its own newspaper, which attacked the clergy, its fat parasites living off the peasantry. Relics and icons were ridiculed. For example, weeping icons were shown to be operated by rubber squeezers. Peasants were taken for rides and planes to show that there was no god in the sky. 
atheist archwood of pregnant Virgin Mary longing for a Soviet abortion. At the same time, communism was promoted to a new religion. Public and private religion rituals were Bolshevized. Christmas and Easter became Commissal Christmas and Easter. Instead of baptisms, children were Octobered with new names such as Rikoriska and Nael, Lenin spelt backwards. Red weddings were conducted in front of a portrait of Lenin rather than an altar, and the couple making their vows both to each other and to the principles of communism. This anti-clerical propaganda was accompanied by more direct action, particularly after 1921. Lenin used the famine 1921-22 to demand that the church surrender its valuables, including consecrated vessels used in rituals to famine relief. Instructions were sent to local Soviets to seize the valuables, but there was bitter resistance. Unarmed civilians, even often old men and women, fought soldiers equipped with machine guns. More than 8,000 people were executed or killed in 1922 in the anti-church campaign, including the Metropolitan of Petrograd, a leading churchman only just saw below the Patriarch in rank. 20 bishops and 1,215 priests. The Portobello was alarmed by this level of resistance and decided to suspend the action, but Len, who saw this as an opportunity to smash the church, overruled them. The Russian historian Volkhonkorn, who has enjoyed unrestricted access to Russian archives, has seen in Lenin's papers an order from him demanding to be informed on a daily basis how many priests were shot. Finally, what impact did the Cultural Revolution have on um, religion. So the Cultural Revolution produced another onslaught on the churches and the priests who were part of the old world. The Soviet government stressed the link between kulaks and churchgoers, accusing priests of supporting the peasants in their resistance to collectivization. Priests were hounded out of the villages, churches were raided and church bells were melted down for industrialization funds. The state imposed punitive taxes on the churches and their priests. Peasants resisted, especially women, and were prepared to pay the taxes if they possibly could. But by the end of 1930, 80% of the country's village churches were closed. Only 1 in 40 churches were functioning by the end of the 1930s. The others had been knocked down or being used as secular purposes. No churches were allowed in new cities and towns. The number of active Orthodox priests fell from around 60,000 in the 1920s to 5,665 by 1941. More priests... Rabbis were killed during this period than during the Civil War. By 1939, only 12 out of 168 bishops were active in 1930 were still at liberty.